This parak is focused on the laws of and which members of the Jewish people are obligated to fight when the Jewish people go out to war and who has an exemption. We learned of four categories of people who are exempt from fighting. One who built a house or another structure which is similar, one who planted a vineyard or a field of fruit trees, one who started or completed a process of marriage, and one who was afraid, either afraid of the fighting or afraid of his Averus, as we discussed in the previous Mishnayis. This mission now tells us that when all of these words and laws said that people who fit into these four categories are exempt from fighting, that is only when it comes to a war which the definition of this war is a voluntary war. It is not a war which the Torah obligates. In such a case, the Torah gives certain exemptions. However, if this war is an obligation, for example, the, uh, any battle which is for the sake of defeating Amalek, or any battle at the time which was to conquer Eretz Israel, originally when they entered the land, or in order to defend Eretz Israel from the enemy. That would be an example of a Mechemes Mitzvah, where it is an obligation on the Jewish people to wage war. In that case, I call Yitzin. Everybody must go out to war. Even a chosen, a man who just got married from his room and a color, a bride from under her chuppah, that's a posok in Yoel. Even if it's on their wedding day, if that's when the Jewish people are fighting, then it's a mitzvah on every single member of the Jewish people to fight. The women wouldn't necessarily fight, but they might be involved by supporting the people fighting, providing them with food, perhaps. When it comes to the Muhammad's mitzvah, there are no exemptions. Or Rabbi Huda, Rabbi Huda said slightly differently. When are these exemptions stated? When it comes to a war which is a mitzvah, but when it comes to a war which is an obligation, everybody must go out, even a groom from his room and a bride from under her chuppah. Now the Gemara explains, and this is very important to note, that the Chachon and Rabbi Huda are not actually disagreeing as to which war the exemptions apply. They are just calling it different things. And we'll explain in a moment why exactly they need to argue at all. But while the Tanakhama calls them Melchemes Mitzvah, Rabbi Huda calls them Melchemes Chayvah. They both agree that in a case where the war is a mitzvah, for example, defeating Amalek, conquering Eretz Israel, or defending Eretz Israel, the exemptions do not apply. And they both agree that in all other wars, the exemptions do apply. They are arguing about a particular type of battle, a particular type of war which is waged against the enemy in order to prevent the enemy from becoming too powerful and then fighting against the Jewish people. So it could be argued that this is part of defending Eretz Israel, but on the other hand, they haven't yet attacked Eretz Israel. Now, according to the Chachomim, the Tankama, he doesn't consider this type of war to be a mitzvah. So when somebody is fighting such a war, this is considered to be that he's involved in a mitzvah, in the middle of doing a mitzvah. Whereas according to Huda, it is considered to be that he is doing a mitzvah. What difference does it make? There is a rule that kol isik mitzvah potom in a mitzvah. One who is currently involved in doing one mitzvah and another mitzvah comes his way, he is exempt from that other mitzvah since he's already involved in one mitzvah. So according to Rabbi Yehuda, who calls this war a mitzvah, would say that somebody who is fighting that war is exempt from a different mitzvah. Whereas according to the Chachomim, that this is not considered to be a mitzvah, they would be obligated in that other mitzvah. So when Rabbi Yehuda in our Mishnah talks about a Melchemes mitzvah, he's really talking about a particular type of Melchemes Harashus, 
voluntary war. He's just hinting to the fact that it is considered a mitzvah. Difference being regarding this rule of ha'isik mitzvah potter min mitzvah. Perek Tespishta Aleph. The focus of the first half of this perek is the procedure of Egla Rufa. This was another thing on the list in the Mishnah in the beginning of the seventh perek of things that must be said in Lashna Kaidesh. And Egla Rufa refers to a situation where a dead body who was killed is found, let's say, in a field somewhere outside of a city. And the Torah requires that the Beistin, the members of the Beistin in the nearest city, need to go through a process where they take a calf, a young cow, and break its neck. And the Karnim come and they declare that they are innocent and they are not the ones who killed this person. And we'll see in this perek the details of this procedure. The Azameh, the Mishnah begins, Eglai Rufa B'Shanah All of the things which need to be said as part of the procedure of Eglai Rufa must be said in Lashon HaKadosh as they are said and written in the Torah. Eglai Rufa means a calf whose neck is broken. Right, Shnei as the Pasuk says, and now we're not bringing a proof of the fact that it has to be said in Lashon HaKadosh, but we're bringing a Pasuk talking about Eglai Rufa and we're going to explain the Pasuk. The Pasuk says, Ki when a dead body is found in the ground, and later on in that Pasuk it says, and your elders and your judges will go out. Three members of the big basin in Yerushalayim would go out. That's referring to the Sanhedrin. Three members of the big Sanhedrin of 71 judges in Yerushalayim, they would go to the site of where the dead body was. And Rabbi Huda, Rabbi Huda says, Chamisha, it has to be five judges. Shanem, as the Pasuk says, Zekeinecha, your elders, that's in the plural, so that implies at least Shnaim, two of them, Vesheftecha. And your judges, it's also in the plural, Shnaim, that's another two. So that's already four. And Vein Basin Shokul, Basin can never be an even number. Basin need to make decisions, so it always has to be an odd number so that if they vote on a decision, they will come to a majority. And here as well, when they're coming to represent the beast, then they have to come as an odd number. And then from a Sifan Od Echod, they would add on another one, and that's how we get to five judges of the Sanhedrin. Mr. Beast, there are certain scenarios where the procedure of Eglai Rufod is not, doesn't take place. For example, Nintz Tomun Bagal, if it is found, if the dead body is found hidden or buried in a pile of stones. Otolobo Ilon, or hanging on a tree, Otsopapneamayim or floating on top of the water, they wouldn't go through the process of breaking the calf's neck, and the whole process which we will discuss over the coming Mishnayas. Shnei as the Pesach says, When does Eglai Rufa apply? When the dead body is found, Ba'adoma, on the ground, which implies bagal, that excludes a case where it is found buried under a pile of stones, not on the ground. And the Pazak says, Neufel, it is falling, Vlaitolibo Ilan. So that excludes a case where the body is hanging on a tree. Basode says that it's found in a field. That comes to exclude a case where Vlaitsovabriamayim. Not in a case where it is the, the dead body is floating on water. In any such case, they would not go through the procedure of Eglar Rufa. Now what happens if the dead body is found, Nimtosomasfar, and if it is found near to the border of Eretz Israel? And the nearest city is a city of non-Jews already in Chutzlaretz. Or it, the closest city to where the dead body is found is a city inside Eretz Israel, but consists of the majority of non-Jews. Or the nearest city has not got a basin of at least 23 judges, as known as the Sanhedrin Katana, sort of a mini Sanhedrin. The main Sanhedrin had 71 judges, that was in the Beis Hamikdash. 
And then in cities, there was a Sanhedrin Katana made up of 23 judges. So if the nearest city did not have such a base, then they wouldn't go through the procedure of Egla Rufa. So in the case where the nearest city is a city of non-Jews, then the assumption is that this person was killed by non-Jews. And the whole procedure of Egla Rufa is in order that we atone for the possible sin that a Jew killed him. But if he is right next to a city of non-Jews, then we assume that the non-Jews killed him, and therefore there is no need to go through this procedure of Egla Rufa. Now regarding the case where the nearest city hasn't got a base then of 23 judges, the mission now explains, And the intention of the Mishnah is as if it read, Instead of, And the Mishnah is saying that they would only measure and take account of a city which has got a basin of 23 judges. So if it happens to be that the nearest city has not got such a basin, then they would check where the next nearest city is. And then members of the basin of that city would be involved, as we'll see in the Kang Mishnayis, that the basin of that city which is nearest is involved. So the nearest city which has got a basin of 23 judges, they would be the ones involved in this procedure of Egla Rufa. Alright, next case. What happens if the dead body is found directly in between two cities? And it's bang in the middle of two cities. In such a case, Both cities must bring two calves and go through this whole procedure with two calves and break the necks of both of them. That is the opinion of Rebeliezer. There's a machlaikas which comes up in many different places, here being one of them, whether efshalat samtim or efshalat samtim. Is it possible to make exact measurements that, for example, something could be exactly in between, in the middle of this city and this city? Or do we say that it's impossible to be exact, and even if to the human eye it seems to be exactly in the middle, we need to take into account even things which we can't necessarily see, but since it definitely is not exactly exactly in the middle, even though in terms of how we measure it to the human eye it is exactly in the middle, nevertheless it's impossible to say it is exactly in the middle. So it is possible to be exact, meaning we base the measurements based on what the human eye sees. And therefore it is considered to be that this is bang in the middle of both cities, so both of them need to be part of the procedure of Egla Rufa. And the Mishnah adds, the Yerushalayim of the Egla Rufa, Yerushalayim, if that happens to be the nearest city to the dead body, it wouldn't bring an Egla Rufa, because at least according to this Mishnah, Yerushalayim was not part of the inheritance split between the twelve tribes in Eretz Israel. Rather, Yerushalayim was owned collectively by the entire Jewish people. And it is learned from Pesukim within the parsha in the Torah which talks about Egla Rufa. It talks about how the fact that Eretz Yisrael is the land which Hashem gives Noisim Rishta, gives to you to inherit. And therefore since Yerushalayim is not part of the inheritance, so the laws of Egla Rufa will not apply to Yerushalayim. Mr. Gimel, when this dead body is found, they would bury him exactly where he was killed, where he fell. And even if, let's say, this is located in somebody else's field, it's located in a private piece of property, even then they would bury him exactly where he was. The Gemara explains that when Yeshua conquered the land of Eretz Israel, so he conquered it with ten conditions, one of which being that a dead body found somewhere by itself so that land is sort of owned by the dead person in terms of the fact that he has the right to be buried there and therefore wherever this person in the case of Egla Rufa, wherever he was found, that's where he would be buried. Now what happens if Nimsel Rosh of Echad, his head was found in one place 
and his body was found in another place. Meaning a short distance away, his head was. So where do we assume that he was killed such that he has right to be buried over there? So Malikhin and Rosh, it's like Guf According to Rebeliezer, we bring the head to where the body was. We assume that he was killed where the body is right now, and that his head rolled away. On the other hand, Rabbi Akiva, Rabbi Akiva says, Aguf we bring the body towards where the head was, because we assume that since the body is heavier, so the body had more force to sort of move away from the location where he was killed.